हेलो एवरीवन हाय प्रतीक हाउ इज़ द वेदर देयर द वेदर इज़ हॉट एज यूजुअल चेन्नई नेवर हैज अ कोल्ड क्लाइमेट बिकॉज द मॉनसून्स आर हियर इट्स क्वाइट क्लाउडी हियर एंड बाय नेचर आई एम समवन हु डिसलाइक्स रेन एंड क्लाउड्स एंड सो ऑन एंड आई शुड से दैट ऑन दिस आई रिमेंबर वेरी डिस्टिंग दैट ऑन दिस पर्टिकुलर डे इट्स ऑलवेज क्लाउडी हियर and i should say that traveling has made me like sunny weather even more because the uh, the sandstone and granite of india really glitter against the radiant sun radiant weather of india that's uh, true but but i think the many kavis of indian tradition are going to be cross with you because you don't like the cloud and the rain that's true the cloud is the epitome of friendship is it not uh probably my uh this th- these values of mine are probably some some kind of western import you know because uh, the rain is seen as a bane in much of western uh, literature but anyways i mean i think we are straying in a big way from the business at hand so let's start uh, right away prateek uh, about today's uh, about today's uh, with today's program so prateek uh, okay, so welcome to pravaha everyone welcome to pravaha prateek uh, today we're going to do something new in that we will instead of uh, two of us sharing uh, our thoughts on the same subject or you know uh, having a discussion and uh, you know even equal kind of a discussion uh, i will be asking prateek questions on a subject that is read very very closely and prateek will it's most pr- prateek will answer them and prateek will be the primary speaker of the day uh, so prateek uh, why don't you just introduce what you will be speaking about today with all of us so uh, we'll be speaking about i mean what i call as a feminine fellatio so vatsyayana in kama sutra how he handles this topic of oral pleasure and how it is very gendered um, and why is it important to look at you know the pronouns he uses and and how he even defines the act and uh, and amit and uh, i mean not to look at it from a very you know to look at it from today's eyes maybe might be accused of anachronism but i think it's also important to look at it from today's eyes given the romanticism that is there around the text and the the, the literature that is there in it yes yes i agree with you completely i mean i, I totally understand what what you mean and um, you know when you're traveling across india in these in these you know these primary locations on what's called the hippie trail in bookshops you'll you know you'll you'll see that uh, the book the racks are just filled with books on two subjects usually one is yoga and the other is uh, kama sutra and sex so it's become some kind of a poster book for to represent india or indian heritage or whatever the, the alluring attractive side of india so uh, you know i think you need to begin by talking about what this text actually is what is it what is it what are its questions what is it concerned with what is it trying to address so as you just said i mean there is a lot of uh, because just because it is it has become the poster book of indian tradition uh, there are a lot of misconceptions that are surrounding it a lot of romanticisms that are surrounding it so the basic very famous misconception is that it is a book of sexual positions and it is much 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 more than that so the basic theme that he addresses uh, is that of a nagaraka a civilized man and his his behavior and not only that he goes into very many topics 
like um, say even medicine for that matter medicine and he also speaks about uh, you know geographically demarcating sexual practices and uh, you know a court life uh, and the norms uh, the folk ways mores of court life how the society views certain actions and uh, and things like that so i think it, it it the scope of kama sutra is much 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 wider than what it is understood to be and uh, if we look at the text with such wider context it gives us a lot more uh, and it has a lot more to offer yeah uh, so it's 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 a manual for metropolitan life is that how you would describe it that i'd agree yes a manual is a is a good word to use yes it's a manual but uh, again and again what we see in his this thing is uh, more than a you know a, a rule book sort of thing he always uh, agrees with his predecessors or disagrees with his predecessors um, and he offers his own opinions but then again time and again he says you know look at your surroundings look analyze the situation where you're in analyze the people that you're surrounded by and the time that that you know you're living in and then decide on these matters of you know sensuous uh, uh, things or civilized behavior or whatever i mean he he gives that um, that kind of a scope to your behavior because he and i think he is very well aware that uh, uh, you know uh, uh, behavioral sciences or sociology cannot be written as a as a science it can it can only be an art so yes what do you mean by a predecessor ah uh, well uh, uh, kama sutra again uh, to see vachayana is not somebody who is just uh, jumping out of thin air and starting to speak about pleasure or kama uh, he quotes i mean he can be dated to around 4th 5th century the exact dating is debatable in academia but uh, around this age around the gupta times 4th uh, yeah 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 so it's like the post axial age of india i would say because you know that's when that's the period when all of these very very great works of literature uh, are thrown up by india so there is uh, bhasa there is uh, ardhashastra vishnu purana uh, what else manusmriti you know some later editions to mahabharata and so on yeah yes so uh, around the gupta times so uh, again uh, he is not somebody who just came out of thin air he ha- he quotes uh, from inside the text we get references to a lot of his predecessors so some of the names he quotes are bhabravya uh, who is a disciple of bhabru charayana suvarnabha gonardiya and gotaka mukha etc now uh, the, the works of these people we do not have in possession with us today and he also quotes another interesting person called dattaka where he says he composed the dattaka uh, dattaka's work was composed in consultation with a courtesan so that to have some practical hand in in the in matters of uh, sex so uh, but none of these texts are available to us apart from the stray quotations that we find uh, in kama sutra where vatsyayana either quotes them and agrees with them or quotes them and disagrees with them to offer his a uh, difference of opinion uh, but i think it's it's also pro- probably traceable to the oral tradition that was prevalent because oral tradition has no mercy for for outdated material now that vatsayana has come and summarized all the previous opinions and offered his own perspective on everything now the old one materials are also recorded and hence they have gone out of uh, out of uh, the minds of the uh, out of the indian mind i think so yes that is that is the you know to to trace a 
uh, a historical overview to erotic texts until Kama Shastra. Though we do not have texts in possession, we do have internal evidences to point that there was a, there was a tradition of uh, composing such texts prior to Vatsyayana also. So you have contextualized Kama Sutra for us. Could you now contextualize Kama? What I mean by this is that usually Kama is listed as one of the four Purusharthas, uh, Dharmartha Kama Moksha or the Trivargas Dharmartha Kama. Now, uh, in the arrangement of these, uh, does where does how wide does Kama fit in, or you know, do texts on Kama show awareness of the other three or other, you know, uh, two depending on the classification they're 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 following? Uh, so yeah, just contextualize the institution or thought of Kama for us. Well, uh, as soon as he is proceeding to write on Kama, Kama Sutra, his Kama Sutra on Kama, he does speak about the Trivargas and he does speak about Dharma and Artha as well. One interesting thing is uh, Vatsyayana does not adopt the Purushartha Chatushtaya system. He does not include Moksha in the four goals of life. Perhaps because the whole text is mundane, I mean uh, mundane in the sense not transcendental. So uh, it's not outworldly. So uh, unlike the metaphysical texts or uh, you know philosophical texts that India had produced, he does not adopt moksha as one of the goals and he ends uh, with kama, dharma, artha and kama. Uh, so having said that to place it in a you know larger context, uh, kama generally need not mean physical or sexual pleasure alone. Kama just means desire. Uh, in a very literal sense and uh, uh, but what is the necessity for a person to take a text or a, you know compose a text on karma so th th that's a that's a very interesting question Raven, to dwell into so if you if we get to that so what is dharma what is righteousness why should why should text be produced in that genre what is artha and why was artha shastra produced so these are questions that we need to ask in in terms of karma as well so uh, uh, so the first and foremost thing is to 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 define kama to understand what kama is now that the indian tradition holds that dharma artha kama are trivargas and these three are to be pursued by humankind we need to understand what kama is so first and foremost to define what is kama and to set boundaries uh, to uh, how we how we approach kama a second one is to perhaps uh, you know uh, to to uh, give the norms of karma and I would again uh, not say that it is a rule book but uh, again he does uh, speak about let us say uh, where uh, to, to put it in a very urban lingo uh, uh, talks about BDSM uh, you know bondage and things like that uh, in sexual pleasure uh, even if it is consensual there are uh, places where it, it could go to the extremes for example wanting to wanting to strangle and kill the partner so these are places where he is he is you know uh, he says you know this is strictly prohibited never never to be pursued so so there are boundaries where he defines and uh, uh, that he sets and uh, speaks about you know what is uh, what is okay what is not okay but in a very non not a very very prescriptive sense right so for example when he when we when we look at the dharma sutras i, I would i would just like to uh, go into two specific things and then bring it to the larger picture that we are speaking about one is on the dharma sutras so the way Dharma Sutras approach a topic like homosexuality, uh, with much contempt and admonishment for the people who are who are you know practicing it, uh, that is absent from the Kama Sutra, where Kama Sutra, where Vatsyayana is approaching the topic of homosexuality, it is almost non-judgmental. But there are problems 
that we will discuss today but they are not as judgmental as you know as the dharma sutras are so the uh, uh, bringing that in context so you know it is it is also a compendium of sorts of of sexual practices uh, of civilized life because nagaraka vrittanta is how he starts of civilized life of court matters uh, of the of the societal sanctions and norms that exist in his period of time also geographical i mean that is one of the genius of vachayana where he says you know geographically uh, uh, you know uh, dividing or uh, people of this country uh, prefer this kind of intimacy women of that country indulge more in this kind of intimacy also pratik i would like, i also see this as part of a larger trend uh, because you know even in dharma text let's say uh, for example both bhavdayana says that um, in the south people marry their own cousins but in north they do not or shringara prakasha says that in lata people speak this way in uh, in gurjara they speak this way or whatever and even or in dandi so i think in a even among various texts rasa texts dharma texts uh, there is this kind of push towards classifying people by geographies and probably kama shastra is fitting within that trend it is what you are saying is perfectly correct because it is part of so many other uh, lit, uh, you know uh, traditions in india genres. yes genres in india but dharma for example when you when when dharma sutras talk about marriage these are practices that are very explicitly right. known to anybody but uh, even like arthashastra when it says these kings practice you know revenue this way those kings practice uh, attain revenue this way it's something that is known to all world but when kama sutra is documenting it geographically the same way these are practices that are bound to four walls inside the bedrooms of people and to document them is something that's that's very interesting i feel that is why i i wanted to discriminate i mean wanted to you know distinguish this in a very specific manner and then talk about it yes. so getting yes. back to uh, the 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 i mean uh, the larger picture i think three three things stand out one is to define karma and uh, you know to set boundaries uh, and the second one uh, is to you know uh, provide and uh, uh, place it in a larger context of you know uh, the indian tradition and third one is to is to uh, is to you know uh, give a compendium of sorts of the societal uh, you know framework within which karma was uh, was seen in those times right hmm thank you so uh, you've been speaking about the past of kama sutra and kama so let's talk about the future now that is kama sutra's future or rather the afterlife of kama sutra so um, evidently from what you're saying there has it was somehow kept alive for many uh, centuries right through commentaries or whatever and uh, how was it what was the relevance of the text why was it kept alive or i mean exactly can just talk about how i mean if it was really really uh, you know kept alive i think it was kept alive uh, uh, because of uh, so many factors we can say that like uh, kama sutras uh, when we dated to the gupta age around 4th 5th century it has a beautiful commentary coming in the 12th century right uh, it's by a person called yashodhara uh, yashodhara is the commentary is called jayamangala it's a very detailed commentary so it is it is evident that until the 12th century it did not go into oblivion and in the 12th century there arise 12th 13th century almost there arose a situation where there was some need to to contextualize it to the society of 12th century india 
and to develop on the concept of Kama Shastra to give it, uh, you know, uh, embellishments and add a commentary to it. So, and then further after that, though we do not find commentaries, we find other texts being written uh, following the Kama Sutra, right? So, uh, like uh, the Kohalas Rati Rahasya, for example. So, there are many other texts that come up uh, following the Kama Sutra. So, Kama Sutra becomes this, this text uh, uh, after around, uh, you know, after the composition of which you cannot ignore this work without quoting this work, you can, you, without citing Kama Sutra, no academician can write on erotica in India. You know, it was such a work. Uh, so, I think its importance is, is you know, uh, is very much felt through these traditions. And uh, a post, uh, uh, we also find paintings uh, and other artistic depictions that borrow heavily from Kama Sutra. And uh, yeah, so that, that that's about it. I think the presence is... Yes, just... mm -hmm. uh, so, I, I had actually not planned this question earlier, but I think it will, it will make a good contribution. So, my question was going to be, the other erotic literature of India, you know, you know, Kavya literature, let's say, of of Bilhana or Jayadeva of a later period, do they show co cognizance? They should do they show awareness of the Kama Sutra and the ideas in the Kama Sutra? Well, uh, this is a very very interesting question. Uh, some aspects, for example, if we take Jayadeva adopting a, a Viparita Rati, where she is on top of him. So these are some very specific aspects that Kama Sutra discusses. But one thing is Kama Sutra is not a poetic text, text where uh, he needs to, he is very explicit about everything. Right? But Indian poetic tradition respects, uh, though it is very heavily erotic, the, the sensuousness is carried in Indian poetic tradition by Dhvani, which is the suggestive element. Right? So, the, the necessity of suggestiveness in poetry will not coincide with the explicitness of Kama Sutra. So, if we need to draw parallels, we can draw parallels in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the court scenes or say the intimacy and uh, the other aspects, but very strong parallels will have to be drawn by us and I don't think it's very clearly visible but of course the, 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 the give and take would have been there uh, from Kama Sutra as well yes okay now let's just dive into the text itself could you just uh, introduce us to the project of the text the outline or let's say the layout of the ideas of the text right so uh, as you know uh, he starts off with uh, with defining what is Kama and then he goes on to define, uh, you know, who is his, uh, 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 who is his Nayaka or about whom is the work. So it is Nagaraka. So that he makes it uh, uh, very clear. So it is the, uh, it is the civilized man that he is talking about or the city dweller that he is, uh, you know, uh, speaking about. So then he goes on to uh, speak about, uh, uh, you know, uh, arts, you know, uh, study of arts. Uh, why it's important and all of that and then he talks about the man in the town and then he goes into the naikas uh, the various naikas and nayakas or, or you know any any uh, he just classifies the genders and he includes trithiya prakriti in that as well third natured people so he includes them as well uh, after that he goes into the specifics of uh, uh, you know the specifics of 
the sexual act per se so he goes into uh, you know the sexual union ratavasthana uh, prakarana and where he he delineates one act after the other so he he starts with alingana vichara prakarana which is the embrace uh, and then he goes into chumbana prakarana which is the kissing and he goes on and uh, you know with uh, every act which he details uh, then uh, for example nakara nakarana jati prakarana so pressing with the nail marks or biting uh, and then he goes on to oral sex and all of that so that's how he takes his text and then uh, later after describing these in detail he goes into uh he goes into you know uh, more um, uh, uh, broader aspects of uh, betrothal marriage wherein the societal framework also comes into picture and then how you instill confidence on your bride and how you take her to your you know to your trust and all of that and then uh, how you behave as a couple to the world uh, and you know uh, and things like that so uh, and then later he goes into um you know uh, what are the duties of a wife what are the duties of a husband what are the duties in in a polyamorous relationship what are the duties of the various partners and things like that and then he goes on to speak about bhavas and emotions uh, because till now he has been speaking a lot about physical pleasure and societal this thing then he speaks about emotions and about dutis uh, the messengers and and uh, things like that then he moves on to the larger aspect of court life uh and uh, yeah and then he he also speaks about wealth interestingly uh how to attain wealth in a very courtly scenario and courtesanship and all of that and um, yeah that's about it. and then he speaks about court life and he also speaks a little bit about medicine uh for especially for sexual diseases and all of that so that's a large framework of kamasutra okay so now let's now uh could you uh, talk about which section that contains because of them and introduce right topic. so uh, when i said he he details one act after the other so he starts with um, uh, he starts with the embrace he goes on to the uh, kissing chumbana prakarana and then uh, he comes to the nail biting uh, uh, this one uh, nail marks and then goes to the bite dashanachedya uh, vidhi how to bite uh, the types of biting and all of that and then uh, you know he goes on to discuss about uh, uh, about auparishtaka prakarana right so uh, uh, sounds making sounds and then he goes on to speak about auparishtaka prakarana what is auparishtaka huh? auparishtaka prakarana is oral sex uh, the the it, it's very very interesting how he defines auparishtaka prakarana Okay. but before coming to that how he starts this uh, prakarana or this chapter on oral sex is very interesting the first sutra itself is he says dvida tritiya prakritihi stri roopini purusha roopini cha he is starting something on fellatio oral sex and he is starting it by the mention of third natured people right uh, to give a broad outline he starts with the mention of third natured people then he classifies them and then he goes into defining what is auparishtaka uh, or what is oral sex and then he he speaks about the eight fold process of giving a proper fellatio one after the other how to do it and then he goes into speaking about uh, you know what work are these people who are homosexual or these uh, who prefer fellatio do and their place in the society 
and uh, and then he speaks about the prior agreements and disagreements in this context by his predecessors and then he gives his own opinion of saying you know uh, you please see the context of your living and then perform it uh, and please take care and he just leaves it at that so that's the uh, that's the crux of the prakarana and we i mean as you lead the conversation we will go into the details of what it is but this is the summary of the chapter that we are focusing on So could you, yeah, could you, uh, you said uh, more details, so you, you, you could feel free to answer uh, Right. So when he starts with the Auparishtaka Prakarana or uh, oral sex, he starts by, uh, you know, uh, classifying Trithiya Prakriti, Trithiya Prakriti, third natured people. So uh, there is a problem with Alain Delino's translation where the translation reads as third sex. And uh, Ruth Vanita and Salim Kidwai in their work very rightfully counter it saying it's not third sex because the word is clearly Trithiya Prakriti and Prakriti is nature. So when we translate it as uh, third nature, it gives scope for a very wide connotation rather than saying third sex. So that's a, that's a very interesting uh, uh, you know argument that they bring in. But what he does after that is very interesting. He classifies them as Stri Rupini, Purusha Rupini Cha one who is in the garb of a woman or the, the form of a woman rather and in the form of a man. But what is very interesting is his word usage of Purusha Rupini which is she who is in the form of a man. Now that I find very interesting. Wendy Doniger proposes a very interesting argument here where she says that it is, it is because of the word usage Trithiya Prakritihi which is Strilinga, which is feminine and therefore anybody he addresses using that adjective also needs to be feminine and therefore Purusha Rupaha is not possible there, Purusha Rupini is only possible, right. So this is an interesting argument, it is, it is uh, plausible that that is the case for this sutra but in the, in the forthcoming sutras we cannot argue the same. But this is a very, very, uh, very beautiful argument that uh, uh, Dr. Doniger makes in this case. So then he goes on to classify them as saying, okay, the Sri Rupini, one who is who wishes to adopt the form of a woman, uh, is is you know coy, timid. Now remember, he is talking about a man or the Trithiya Prakriti who is willing to be or wants to be a woman. Okay, but one interesting thing that we notice here is he does not speak about uh, the appearance of such persons. It could be a feminine gay man, right? Effeminate gay man. Uh, but Jayamangala, the commentary from the 12th century, adds that they have breasts, they have long hair, but they may have ma uh, genitals of a man. Now, that is very interesting. The Kama Sutra did not envision them as such. But Jayamangala, uh, Kama Sutra might have just envisioned uh, an effeminate gay man. But uh, Jayamangala is, is not speaking about that. Jayamangala clearly says it is, it is some kind of a, uh, you know, today's hijra or a transgender person. That, that, that's an interesting uh, interesting thing that we notice now then he comes to the we come to the main uh, you know uh, point of discussion where he is defining what auparishtaka or oral sex or fellatio is so this sutra he says tasya vadane jaghana karma tad auparishtakam achakshate now this is where the problem arises now he is defining oral sex and how he defines it is tasya vadane in her mouth, okay, in her mouth, jaghana karma. 
the act that is done in her vulva now in the vulva now done in her mouth is auparishtaka is is oral sex is fellatio now the problem here is uh, the word you, the pronoun usage of tasya see he is talking about two men who are indulging in oral sex but the pronoun with which he opens is tasya in her he says in her mouth and now one more thing that we need to notice here is in not he is speaking about uh, an act of physical intimacy between two men but he is bringing in the context of jaghana karma which is uh, the sexual act at the vulva or jaghana is the loin portion but he is saying that what is done to a uh, if you look at the commentary uh, uh, jayamangala he says bhage lingena yat karma tan mukhe kriyamanam auparishtakam what is done at the vulva with the penis is done in the mouth now that i call as auparishtaka now the problem is when kama sutra is willing to describe a sexual intimacy between two men it it brings in the context of intimacy with a woman and says like that this right so the the the, the thought is not beyond the binary this even for defining sexual acts between two men the context of its performance on a woman is brought inside so the very fact that there is a tritiya outside the prathama and dvitiya itself is something that is not out of the binary thought and i think that's that that's a very interesting uh, point that that uh, that that is to be noted and um, if you look at the uh, you know if you look at the uh, restrictive definition that it is right the, the the opening is about oral sex but the the gendered definition of the act you know what is done at the vulva by a man is done in the in the mouth this definition clearly excludes any other form of oral pleasure that can be derived such as two women indulging in oral pleasure there is the chapter is oral pleasure but there is no mention in the kama sutra about two women indulging in that kind of a pleasure so i think that is that is very very interesting that is to note and that is due to the, the very gendered and restrictive definition that he offers to the act uh, what i hear you saying is that in the act in standard there only is there supposed to be two different uh, sexes but it just so happens that in some cases it is not uh, so that is let's say male and female should definitely be there and the genders are fixed but sometimes the male replaces the female so they are playing all kinds of uh, you know play games to adjust make their adjustment is that right uh, so my guess would be that uh, so 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 the, the word purusharupini that you mentioned uh, does it occur anywhere else in that case because if it's if it's like an ad hoc word um, does it find place anywhere else just put it out there clearly for us purusharupini no uh, that appears here only but what is interesting is with your questioning i i would like to bring um, to notice another thing see in the starting itself when uh, when vatsyayana is classifying uh, uh, people into three genders uh, 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 purusha stri and tritiya prakriti he classifies tritiya prakriti under woman only so that that's very interesting so he is not transgressing the binary even though he says there is a tritiya prakriti he wants to bring the tritiya prakriti under the binary fold 
but still have it you know uh, have it separate so it's a, it's kind of a love hate relationship that he is having with this with this uh, group of people can we say that um, since the audience is nagaraka nagaraka her nagaraka her the masculine uh, civilized or city dwelling man can we say that the since the audience is male uh, the uh, the the partner is always described as another is that happening can we say that uh well i wouldn't say that because he also says even strees should st- study the text uh, okay. to so the, he intends that any civilized this thing so he, but his hero is an agaraka yes right so uh, yeah Uh, professor doniger actually goes into the third natured person and uh, ruth vanita and salim kidwai have in their work uh, they say that the sixth sutra that we spoke about uh, you know uh, uh, dissociates see, though, though it starts like this uh, they say that you know uh, the sixth sutra dissociates femininity because as i said it it, it classifies them into two stree rupini and purusha rupini now even assuming that it is due to the uh, grammatical context you know grammatical mandate that uh, everything should follow the same gender as per the adjective even assuming that it is that way uh, in the sixth sutra uh, ruthvanita and salim kidwai write that you know the sixth sutra is dissociating femininity from men who prefer fellatio right now when you look at the sutra the original sutra uh, uh, it is not that way because alain danilo's translation uses gender neutral english pronouns and says them they etc but that is not true to the original the translation is flawed there because uh, let me read out the sutra and then explain the sixth sutra says purusha rupini tu prachanna kama purusham lipsamana sambhahaka sambhahakam upajivaye so purusha rupini again the usage is in a very uh, though see she who is in the form of a man is how it uses so we cannot say that uh, it has dissociated uh, femininity from the gay man and prachanna kama instead of prachanna kamaha and i think as we just discussed this is again coming from the uh, from the thought that the, because the next word you see purusham lipsamana right having desired a man in order to have desire on a man the person needs to be a woman and therefore it is not due to the grammatical grammatical mandate here because there is no adjective in this sutra he need not follow three sutras ago what adjective i used he need not use it here right so that argument of dr doniger fails in this sutra uh, that it is due to grammatical mandate purusha rupini tu prachanna kama it is it is a feminine pronoun because feminine adjective prachanna kama instead of prachanna kamaha because the person is having a desire on a man purusham lipsamana right he is she is she here according to vatsyayana he according to us today desires a man so in order to desire a man purusham lipsamana you have to be purusha rupini and prachanna kama and not purusha rupah and prachanna kamaha in the pullinga right so i think uh, it is very much located inside the binary thought um as you said so it 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 is very he does not transgress that that kind of a uh, thought yeah uh based on what you're saying it seems to me that at this particular place where there is no woman to satisfy the man there is the man that he's having the act with becomes something of a, a transgender woman right so do you have any other references to this process you know what's going on 
so what happens is after the the sutra that we just discussed he does not go into the categorization or classification or types or anything he directly dwells into their occupation where he says you know again prachanna kamaha itself prachanna kama itself is very indicative of the societal acceptance because uh, prachanna kama is literally covertly desirous so you cannot express yourself overtly therefore you are covertly desiring that and uh, because you need your desires fulfilled he says they live the they live as uh, masures and uh, and you know uh, they and because they are uh, massage they work in massage parlors they do not know if the people who are coming to them are also homosexuals so they try massaging near their thighs and if they do experience an erection and then they go ahead so he directly goes into and then he goes into the techniques of uh, pleasure between two men so he does not classify any more there so that's all we find what is very interesting again is he we do not find anywhere oral pleasure between two two women that is never there uh, uh, so that, 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 that that's a, that's something very very interesting but jayamangala adds uh, such a context and that is very interesting in fourth century we do not find it but jayamangala adds a few poems in this regard and there we are able to find such uh, mentions so uh, 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 i will uh, uh, i will just uh, uh, you know uh, delineate on them a little bit so tatha nagarakaha ke this is not from the kama sutra this is from jayamangala from 12th century tatha nagarakaha kechid anyonyasya hitaishinaha kurvanti ruda vishwasaha paraspara parigraham so nagarakaha again city dwellers two city dwellers who are men here anyonyasya hitaishinaha they desire good for each other and kurvanti ruda vishwasaha they trust each other so much perhaps i maybe i'm doing uh, too much reading into this perhaps because they are not able to trust other people outside because it is not the social norm paraspara parigraham kurvanti they they take to each other and live like that so this is a typical homosexual couple living uh, in 12th century india that that you know that is described by jayamangala and uh, um, and there is one reference that uh, jayamangala speaks about uh, woman uh which which you know he says prapta uh, bhanda uh, so uh, they use uh, external uh, you know toys or uh, you know things like that to pleasure each other and uh, yeah so that that is something that he speaks about uh, only in the commentary we find one stray shloka about uh, two women indulging in pleasure with each other yes hmm right how do we envision the implications of the thing that you've told us today you know what impact does it have on the text the tradition the broader heritage right uh, and also uh, what do other scholars who've commented on this say what do contemporary scholars think, think about this so uh, as i as i said uh, in the larger context yes he has done vachena has done i mean assuming vachena is the author of the whole text uh, uh, he the, the, the text does document Uh, these practices without value judgments but there is a baggage that 5th century indian man carries when he writes something like this and i think that that is something that we need to understand without you know being anachronistic and passing a judgment on the whole text or how it is recorded and saying oh look at this there is no understanding on that so i think that being said um, it is uh, to place it in a larger context we understand uh, that uh, the social elite the privileged elite of ancient india the period that we are talking about were cognizant of homosexual practices but 
cognizance does not tantamount to acceptance or or even tolerance leave alone acceptance right so uh, yes because this is just a compendium it does not pass judgments uh, we do not know if a judgment were to be passed by vatsyayana what would that be we do not know that so having said that it is it, to to just romanticize based on uh, compendiums like these is a little far fetched number 1 and number 2 to link uh what is being done generally in in not in i wouldn't say in in hardcore academia but in general public discourse is to link um to link transcendental anecdotes uh from puranas where you know to interpret them as gender fluidity or something like that to to these texts such as kama sutra and say see there is just so much there now that romanticization is a, is is a bit problematic because uh, uh one these texts such as kama sutra or dharma sutra are mundane they speak about this world and they speak about men in this world whereas the the texts that are usually referred to as the puranas etc etc they speak about activities of gods and when you speak about magical gender changing and this and that they are outworldly they are outlandish they are not meant to be taken as you know reflective of the mundane world they are meant to be transcendental so to link these two very different Uh, context and then provide a you know rosy picture of uh, homosexuality in ancient india is is a bit far fetched in my opinion having said that uh, many of the uh, coming to academia uh, i think the the value placed on the primary source is a little less uh, once a translation is done it is done and i think that attitude should change uh, so as we move into the primary source i think a lot more questions can be raised and uh, uh, yes i think that is that is that is most important so to look at you know uh, pre modern india with such critical eyes from today is is both uh, necessary um, even otherwise and especially with such romanticistic eyes that are roaming about i think it's much more relevant yeah uh, i feel strongly about what you about your last point because i think uh the bibliography has somehow become as important as the main subject matter as as it, uh, itself uh you probably understand what i mean it's that uh, when you commenting about some pre pre modern tradition uh, there is a tendency especially these days to comment a lot more on the other the contemporary work on it uh so much to the effect that the subject matter gets maligned that it's that, that we stray away from subject matter and start focusing only on the bibliography I think that's a problem, uh, but I mean th- that that's independent of the Kama Sutra topic as well, as you can see. And uh, so, yeah, do you have anything else to tell us? Uh, you know, to conclude our discussion. I think uh, that is about it. That is all I had to say. Yes. Uh, all right. I think we had some a very good time, and thank you, Pratik, and uh, thanks to me as well. So I think I would like to start the entire course. Thanks, Raven. Of course, you 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 led the discussion very beautifully. I had a wonderful time. Uh, I I didn't, I didn't speak much at all. That's it. So uh, yeah, and I would like to thank our listeners. I again I hope there are quite a few of them. And let's uh, cross for for a, a speedy upload of the next episode of the Pravaha Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.